Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nelson. With me today, I have my co-host, David Jasso. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Getting Coming up into the end of the year. Excited about that. On the show today, we're going to be talking about, about managing multi-cloud infrastructure with Terraform and vRealize Automation. And we're lucky enough to have Cody Carlson. Cody is a solutions architect for the VMware Global Support Team. So David, why don't you take us through the Thank you, Eric. Hey, Cody, good to have you on today. Hey, um, good hey to we, be here. We wanted to start um, with a little bit of background. That's how we usually kick these things off on uh, with our guest. Uh, I'm particularly um, interested in this this idea, and you and I talked about the, that solution architects is part of a global support team. So, you know, as you cover off on your background, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that role. Yeah. So, um, I am a solution architect, as you said, within uh, global support at VMware. I've been here for just over about nine years now. Um, I've worked exclusively in the cloud management space, supporting customers, um, working with TSEs, working with the engineering teams um, during that whole role. And it's all been specifically within cloud management. Um, the solution architect team in uh, global support is uh, something worth talking about. It's, it's definitely different than what people are familiar with from the solution architect perspective that we have in our field roles. Um, I actually was the third uh, solution architect that came into this role. So I've had the, uh, the, the luck and the happiness of being able to help guide and control sort of the way that this, this role has developed. Um, the goal of that role, of course, was to create a, a senior set of backline resources that can work with our frontline engineers, work with customers on um, the highly escalated situations, um, and then drive product improvement um, perform training, mentorship. So there's, there was a lot of gaps that we filled as a team. Um, and and it's, it's sort of evolved over the years, over the last few years uh, into something a little bit more, um, I would say uh, policy-based, something a little bit more trackable in, in, in what we do. Uh, it's definitely refined a lot more. Um, yeah. So yep. the, the, I think what was really interesting, you know, you and I had a little brief conversation before about this was, but you know, most of the solution architects we deal with are involved and engaged with customers on the front end, right? Before right. they've deployed anything, you come yep. in on the back end, and then generally after something's right. not wor wor not worked out well, and yep. and then maybe you could tell us a little bit of what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. So um, last year, our 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 team, the, the solution architect team itself, moved moved underneath our escalation branch for under support. Um, so what that did was that actually gave us the ability to really focus on high impact issues that customers encounter. Um, why the wide scale escalations, but the really, the, the really good piece of this is that it allowed us to, um, close the loop and analyze these escalations when they, when they finish. So what we do a lot of at this point is we will look into these escalations that occurred. We try to figure out why they occurred in the first place, how to prevent them. Um, and then proactively find ways of making sure this doesn't happen in the future for customers, for our engineers and our developers. Um, what, it, what, we, what happens is we do a closed loop process, we review escalations, and then from that, we will build uh, a number of different solutions. Uh, one of them would be a product quality solution. So we'd work with the BUs to improve the product in some way that prevents these kind of you know, issues from occurring. Um, we work to create internal tools for our teams here as well as for customers. So we will provide input uh, based on our escalation work for um, uh, Skyline, and we will also work for, sorry, hang on one second. Hang on one second. Um, sorry about that. 
So uh, as I was saying, we will provide input for Skyline for customers for proactive support. Uh, we deliver training to engineers from time to time. We get to deliver that training to customers. Uh, we create a variety of knowledge articles, um, uh, blog posts, things like that. So um, yeah, it really does give us a lot of um, reach into the actual product quality in order to drive that for everyone. So today, Cody, we're going to talk about um, Terraform and um, vRealize, and, and I know you did a session around that at VMworld. Before we get into that, maybe we can talk about this concept of uh, infrastructure as code, because that kind of that's the, at the heart of this, Ken. And maybe you can talk about infrastructure as code and why it's so important to DevOps and sort of what, uh, how people think about it and why they're using it. Sure, yeah. So um, infrastructure as code, Obviously, automation scripting has been around for as long as I've been around uh, in, in, in the industry. Um, I mean, back in the day, I remember embedding PowerShell scripts into SharePoint, right? Just so that customers, so that users have the ability to self-serve without me having to do all the work for them, right? Um, I mean, and, and at the end of the day, I think, I think a lot of the scripting that's involved in automations, it's been improved over time, but in a lot of ways, it's still unchanging, right? And it, at the end of the day, we're trying to execute scripts or execute API calls against something with as little effort as possible, but allow people to self-serve that. Um, one of the things I really see infrastructure as code resolving uh, these days is the need for um, your technical teams, your developers um, to really have a handle on all of the scripting languages that are required to drive the business. So, um, you know, developers are, are obviously going to want to um, leverage their own code, leverage code-based solutions, but you know, do we want to really teach them all of the API calls required to, to leverage you know, code-driven infrastructure for AWS and you know, Azure or you know, your vSphere? So there, there's all of that, not to mention you know, what formats are they, are they sending things through, JSON, Python, um, all of these things that, that, that your, your users really need to have access to it becomes a little overwhelming to teach and keep them up to date. And when things change in the business, you have to dynamically, you know, train everybody, you have to adjust everybody. I think that's really a, a huge area where infrastructure as code is helping. Um, what I see is infrastructure as code sort of extract, uh, creating an abstraction of scripting, you know, much in the way that VMware does with physical hardware, uh, infrastructure as code takes all of the API calls um, and it takes scripting languages required to automate infrastructure and it extracts those into a common language that once learned can be applied across multiple platforms. Yeah, I see um, infrastructure as code kind of a natural evolution of a few trends. One is the whole virtualized infrastructure, right? Now it's, mm -hmm. it's effectively you've turned all your infrastructure into software so you can code against it. Um, and then it solved some of the problems that you had when you did scripting, which was you had a bunch of these scripts floating around and a lot of, a lot of knowledge that was only in people's heads in terms of where that fit. So it sort of like takes it to the next level. You start to treat it just like you would feature code, right? So you convert yeah. and control and put it in a repository and then just make it part of the application stack. So I yep. think that's a... Really interesting. The other thing um, that the other thing that I notice, uh, David, and uh, maybe Cody, you can address this, is that uh, what I'm watching because I've been in DevOps for a long time, written a lot of make file scripts for compiling, and then you know trying to get into production, is that you could do that in the old days when your infrastructure was fairly you know straightforward, right? But if you look at microservice applications, you look at the network infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, the storage infrastructure the compute infrastructure and how complicated a modern day architecture is now, 
it's like it's just very difficult to get your head around how to build these type of scripts, right? And so without a higher level of capability that pulls all this together, right? It's like it's almost getting impossible to create a scripting environment that would actually manage all the complicated components at the component level. And I, I feel like there just needs to be some help because it gets harder and harder to just do this with the as the end tracking down what's actually failing when it does fail because of the complexity of the software stack that is creating your infrastructure in the first place. Yeah, great point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the one other thing related to that, Eric, I think about that infrastructure as code solves is, as you said, this sort of troubleshooting issue. The whole idea here is that um, you don't tinker you know, with the configurations, right? You sort of set them down and then if they're not working, you blow them away by simply redeploying the code. So you really just have a really great handle on, on the, on the um, fidelity, if you will, of the environments, which right. is, I think, a really important aspect of it as well. Cody, you've been doing some work around uh, Terraform and Terraform has become super popular, almost like um, um, lingua franca, if you will, for cloud, right? For provisioning. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about what Terraform is and why it's so popular. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you kind of you hit on it. Um, one, of the, one of the main reasons Terraform has become really popular is that it's a, it's a very simple to understand form of abstraction of all of this. Um, um, but on top of that, there's a broad range of cloud endpoints. There's a, it has a huge community of open source contributors. Um, Terraform focuses specifically on code. Uh, so everything is in code. Um, now in, in the case of Terraform, they chose to create their own language. So um, their language behind it, HCL, um, it's HashiCorp uh, language. It's adjacent compatible. It's human readable, machine usable. Um, so that's that's a really nice feature that it's it's very easy to uh, dig into Terraform scripting and understand fairly quickly what you're looking at as well as how to write it very easily. Um, and again, the the range of endpoints and capabilities that are out there uh, for it, I think, really you know really helps um, to 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 drive the popularity of it. Yeah, it's become really popular for um, people that are, you know work across more than one environment too, right? Because you can have a script that's going to work, you know, sort of a generic script, and then you substitute in parameters. Maybe talk a little bit about you know how people are using it to to deal with more than one environment. Yeah, so um, and I can actually I can kind of speak from from personal experience, and this might not be, you know, I'm not exactly a developer, right? But um, in 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 global support here, we. Are frequently we frequently have to deploy and configure environments that we use to reproduce reproduce issues on and and, and do troubleshooting and things like that. Um, and uh, you know, initially when getting into Terraform, I, I ran into a lot of questions, and I was thinking, you know, this is this something I couldn't solve through through a UI based product or something like that. But what actually happened was when I first learned Terraform, I realized that um, from a vRealize automation perspective, um, I could stage a vRealize eight instance in my environment. And then using Terraform, I could run a script that would completely configure everything within it. Um, and this was a process that I, I didn't really have a problem doing, but we were talking 30, 40 minutes of effort and you know, copying keys and codes and passwords and endpoint uh, uh, URLs and things like that, really just to, just to configure everything and get it up and ready. And now I'm ready for my reproduction. But um, you know, as an initial test, I really just said, well, what can I do with Terraform? just when deploying this particular environment. And in the end, I could completely configure everything from the ground up. And, and as a result, that really kind of became um, a standard for us here in, in, in support 
to say, if you want to stage an environment for reproduction, you can do it this way and you can just, you know, you can take and, and, and pre-configure it with a single script in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're talking, that, oh, I'm you're sorry, talking. I was just to that the, the, I was able to take the knowledge that I picked up from that and just pre-configuring a VRA environment right on vSphere or in the cloud. And, and what I did was I, I can, I can take that information and using the same kind of the same, obviously the same format, uh, HTL, um, I can easily do the same kind of thing for AWS, for Azure. I know exactly how the, the language works. And then the only thing I have to learn on the back end then is what do I want to deploy in Azure? So if I wanted to, I can simply copy this directory, modify the code to point to an Azure environment instead, and then just deploy that as well. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that when you talk, you know, V-Realize Automation, you're really talking about deploying it as a solution you're running in your environment. Cause we're gonna talk about how these things work together and you're just using it as an example right now of a solution that gets deployed, right? I mean, that's- Right, uh, and, the, and the solution being, um, when I mentioned before that there's this, this wide range of, of community contribution and things like that. Well, there, there is a VRA plugin that I can configure a VRA environment with. There is a, mm -hmm. there is a, um, a, a plugin for NSX. If I wanted to automate the configuration of NSX environments, I can do that. If, and, and the exact same logic that I would use for any of these, I can apply to AWS, to Azure, uh, to Google uh, Cloud. I mean, if I want to just take the same kind of constructs and concepts, I can just apply these laterally and rapidly learn the ability to just deploy things to multiple clouds. I don't have to go back in and learn from the ground up how to do this in Azure. Yeah, I got, the only point I was making was that um, you're just using it as an example of a particular software stack, but it could be anything. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah. once you learn the one that 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 you're in, that that really is driving you, it's easy to apply that across, right? That at that right. point you you've really it, it it's it's that simple. So you you get a handle on it, and then now you can start to apply it anywhere you want. Yeah, I was making the point about the software stack because we are also going to talk about how V Realize as a solution. Right. works with uh, Terraform and I wanted to just keep those things separate that um, sure. in one case yep. we're talking about you know it could have been any software stack and then exactly. we're going to talk about these things cooperating because they they kind of live in the same space right uh, V realize mm -hmm. automation and Terraform but they actually do very complementary things they can do very complementary things yeah um, maybe we should just switch gears there Eric did you, did you want to any questions on Terraform before we talk about V realize automation not, not really. I think that I think I understand that. And uh, it is interesting. The do, do we know where some of the big repositories of Terraform uh, scripts examples are like out there? I assume they're they're somewhere. I just haven't spent any time in this space to go like, where would I go find these uh, repositories of such examples? So typically, um, what you're going to find is when you're looking at a Terraform um, provider, they call them a provider. It's essentially just a plugin that, that teaches Terraform how to interact with an endpoint like Azure. You'll sure. find that within those, it's usually in a Git repository and within that Git repository, there will be samples. So um, almost all of the providers that I've looked at so far have an extensive list of examples as well as detailed documentation of how to take their example and kind of build on that for your own needs. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, the first thing that popped in my head, uh, Eric, when you asked the question was Git, because it's like almost it's the answer to almost everything when it comes to where do you get anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it is true. It is true. And I, I know that there have some uh, several guys that uh, were big PowerShell, Power, uh, Power CLI, PowerShell people have gone over, have gone uh, and started working in Terraform. So this mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense that, you know, why that, why that's occurring. So, yep. So um, 
Could maybe we can switch gears and just talk a little bit about vRealize Automation, sort of set the stage of what it is, and we'll come back to the intersection of these two in a bit, but maybe just tell us about vRealize Automation. A lot of people may not know what it is. Yeah, so um, vRealize Automation is essentially an enterprise-ready solution for automating almost anything that's IT service related. Um, it provides for multi-cloud provisioning. It provides for... Um, you know, versioned JSON-based blueprinting system. So with um, Terraform, I mentioned that it's that is code, almost code first is the way it was designed. Um, previous releases of VRA were UI-based specifically. This latest version is a hybrid um, of both UI and code-driven solutions to kind of address both. Um, it integrates with, so there's, there's uh, uh, multi-cloud provisioning to pretty much any of the popular clouds, right? Azure, AWS, Google, um, vSphere environments, uh, AWS, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. Um, it also has integration, built-in integration for solutions like uh, obviously Terraform, you've got Ansible Chef, Puppet, um, all, kind of all the popular components like that. So we, we integrate within that as well. Um, as far as the actual provisioning system, and actually let me step back because I, I like to say that it's designed to automate everything. Um, a lot of people look at VRA and, they, and their assumption is that this is, a, this is an infrastructure provisioning tool, right? And it is really good at doing that. The, but the thing is, is that it has integration into our orchestrator tool set. And with integration with orchestrator, that's gonna provide you um, almost anything as a service. I can, I can create, and automate, um, you know, Active Directory tasks if I wanted to, and and provide those to my users through vRealize Automation. So it's it's catalog based on the front end, um, and it focuses on on providing just IT services self service to end users. Um, it does provide the ability also for cloud agnostic blueprinting, which is kind of a new concept in at least most of the tools that I've seen so far. In the fact that I could create a CentOS VM blueprint. Um, and then I can send it off and allow the system through whatever rules I've decided to determine whether to apply that to um, AWS or Azure or, where, or wherever it's going to live. Because to the, to the end user, to the developer, it's not always crucial where it lives. They just need access to the resources. Yeah, you're starting to hit on something, um, I think, you know, super critical and important. I, I'll just make a point first that I think what I heard you say was that there's a lot of things that vRealize Automation does that you might think are overlapping with something like a Terraform, but there are mm -hmm. things that are just purely complementary. And you started to talk about sort of like this decision-making and what I would call policy. Maybe you could talk about policy and governance and a tool like vRealize Automation versus a Terraform. Yeah, so um, within Terraform, obviously what you're doing is you're enabling your developer or your end user to script their infrastructure creation, right? And, 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 and with that, um, the management and the ownership of that infrastructure belongs entirely with the creator of it. Um, it also requires that your end users have to have full rights to whatever it is that, you know, you are going to be provisioning. And that's, and that's typical of, of any kind of, of, of authorization that you're gonna to give to create infrastructure. Um, one of the things that VRA is good at is governance in and of itself, right? <clears throat> um, it's always had a real focus on abstracting IT services, but also governing who can and cannot access them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, with VRA 8, the, the later releases here, uh, they simplify the process. They allow you to control access at a few different levels. 
there are roles that you can give within VRA. So these users can create blueprints. These users can consume um, catalog content. I can break out the catalog content and say, for instance, as I mentioned before, Active Directory, if I wanted to do that, these are the users that have access to execute and manage these Active Directory resources. These are my developers for these processes. Um, and then I can, I can group people into these things called projects. And it's essentially a con the construct of a project is a group that is assigned a specific subset of resources as well as limitations within those resources. So um, I can create a set of, of resources for, for each of the developer teams that controls or limits the amount of resource they can take up. Um, so, and at that point then, you know, logically the question comes back of, well, what, what about when they hit a wall? Um, what if we're not providing the right thing? Um, we also have the ability to provide approvals. Um, and what an approval uh, is gonna do in, in VRA um, is it's not just a, can I have this yes or no? Um, I can trigger an approval based on uh, a user that's requesting say a considerably large amount of memory or, or you know, a, a, what, what seems like is a very large amount of storage. Um, and, and then I can, I can approve or I can deny based on these things. I can, I can require approvals based on you know, these, these limitations. So there's, there's a number of different ways that we can govern access and control to the resources that, that, that are people are, are, are needing. And you've, you've got a lot of flexibility for one thing, because I kind of know, know from looking at this before that um, like you can just also focus on policies that are at, like, at the blueprint level, right? You can say, hey, this blueprint can only be deployed on Amazon. This one can only be deployed on Azure. And, and you know, it's sort of like another way of thinking about policies because that's more specific to the environment and the right. kind of uh, resource it is basically. Yeah, the, the, the engine behind um, the, this decision-making is, is it's a lot more complicated than you would, you would initially think, but it's easy to really maintain. Um, a lot of the way that we drive these decisions in VRA is just through tagging. So if I have uh, what I mentioned before, like a cloud agnostic application stack that I built that, that I could deploy to uh, vSphere, I could deploy it to Azure. Um, I could have a uh, certain tagging involved in the project, for instance. So, so the developers, this group of developers, they're only going to have, when they request the same blueprint that these other folks would, would request based on their group, they're going to get routed to vSphere, right? I want them on this, this hardware. I want them on, on this storage and this compute. Um, I can get very granular. I can, I can say, you know, th this user is requesting something. And as soon as he says, I'm looking for, um, this particular thing with this amount of storage. Now I can start to say, okay, based on the amount of storage or the type of storage you wanted, you need like ultra high speed storage for this. That's going to route you to vSphere to this storage policy. So I can really control the path and the decision-making without having to make one-off decisions for every request or make modifications to people's uh, needs as they're requesting them. Right. And this just all, all happens automatically in the background. This is not something yep. that they're like have to futz with. And it's just determined up front by, by effectively by policy, right? Because like yep, these are the policies of the group or the enterprise, you can do those things. Yep. So, so then if you were working with something like Terraform or you mentioned like other configuration tools that are out there, right? You got Ansible, SaltStack and you know, Puppet, and any number of things people use to configure their environments, then you, how would that work with, uh, with, uh, with the VRA or something like that, where you're then looking for that to then add governance to that pot process? So the governance is really based on the consumption phase, right? Um, there is governance around who can create and build. 
Um, but your governance, really a lot of it is, is based around the consumption. So if I wanted to, um, um, so a, a blueprint, for example, which the blueprint, of course, is it's similar to what Terraform would use as a as a, just a script of mm-hmm. infrastructure or something like that. But if I were to create a blueprint, I can um, I can build in integrations there with Ansible and Chef and Puppet um, for for post provisioning configuration. Um, another thing that uh, VRA does really well is lifecycle management. And um, that's a, a key to how we do integrate with different things um, and how we can uh, extend um, what we're doing with, with provisioning. So um, a good example of this is um, I could, um, the vRealize automation lifecycle of a, of, a, of a provisioning request would be that the machine is requested, it's built, um, you know, once it's approved, it gets built, it gets managed after a certain amount of lease, the day uh, the lease comes up after so many days. And then it, it, after sending notifications to the end user, it's going to shut itself down. It's going to archive it, maybe store it and then destroy it ultimately. Well, during this process at, at various points, I can inject extensibility. I can say, um, okay, before you build that out, I want you to go out and build this out in DNS. Now go ahead and build the machine. The machine gets built. Um, everything's there. Now, when you tear it, now when it automatically goes up and cleans itself up, go back out to DNS, clean up DNS. Um, so there's a lot of these little little hooks that you can get into um, where you can control the the life cycle, but also where you're connecting in with your in- integrations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, would, I would think that that's, that's actually really valuable when we talk about server server sprawl. And uh, I know that one of the biggest problems I have on AWS in my own world is that you know we just forget to do cleanup. We forget the policies on the back end. You know, it's the day three operations, or whatever we call that. Where it's like uh, I need to you know and and. The nice thing about that model is that then you can set that pol- all those policies up and uh, your customer can sign off on it when they when they go to provision and you have some kind of you know cleanup at the tail end of the project so that uh, so that it gets done. Otherwise, these things just continue to consume electricity and cycles and all the rest. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. yeah, I, I think that's uh, very powerful, this idea of uh, uh, policies extending beyond that initial provisioning and also addressing things that have to happen downstream, like uh, right-sizing things or notifications to sell, tell people that, you know, that they're under, you know, they're over, they're underutilizing their resources, those kinds of things. I guess, I guess on the prior question, Cody, I had it was, you know, I, I think about, you know, Terraform is a great scripting language. People are using it, you know, a lot already. Uh, how would how would these things live together? And I and I'm thinking about the scenario. Of maybe you have a handful of developers that are really building out a lot of the a lot of the environments. And then you know, can you do something like then import those into VRA and then make them available to other people? What's the how would how would Terraform work side by side with VRA? So there's actually there's a there's a couple of use cases um, thanks to to the the hard work from the the business unit, but. Um, one, one of the use cases that we see a lot of anyhow is um, uh, recently with the uh, vRealize Automation Cloud, the SaaS version of vRealize Automation, um, we have provided um, the ability to take your um, Terraform scripting and bring it directly into a catalog item in VRA. So mm-hmm. I could take uh, the infrastructure scripting that I'm already familiar with that I've already built and that is, is part of my, my standard process I can bring that directly into a blueprint and then I can wrap that blueprint with all of the appropriate um, uh, uh, approval requirements with, with, you know, pointing them to specific resources, rerouting them, however I wanted to do that. 
um, as well as managing things from uh, um, from a day two perspective. So um, you wouldn't have to you know rewrite any of this stuff in order for it to now work with the governance components of VRA Cloud. Right. Um, so Yep. So I was going to say it becomes the basis for the blueprint, right? It's like yeah, saying, exactly. You've exactly. I mean, you've already, you've already written all this out, right? You've already written all, you've already done the work. Um, you've got it written out and this is how you, how you do your work, but you're going to need it, to kind of control those resources. Does it pull it into the system so that you have like version control of these type of uh, scri uh, scripts or how yeah. do you manage that? So there's, there's a couple of different pieces to this. Um, obviously, there is some overlap between these two products. So um, VRA in and of itself has an automa automatically has a blueprint versioning system. So I can create a blueprint and just say create a new version. Um, VRA also integrates with Git. So I could essentially manage all of my versioning with a Git repository. And that's exactly how we integrate with your Terraform. Uh, if you're using Terraform, you probably have them on a Git repository your versioning already. Um, I can connect my VRA to your um, to your Git repository with Terraform, and that's how I'm going to pull in my Terraform components. Ah, great answer. Thanks. Yep. So, it's, so it sounds like if you're if Terraform's your thing, you're already using it. You're using it to write all your environments. Then, and if what you're looking for is to add governance capabilities, day two, um, soft, you know, life cycle environment, life cycle of the environments, those kinds of things, then you can bring these things together and kind of live, you know, get all of that together. So right. you don't have to like give up Terraform. You can continue to use it, but you also can then get a solution that adds governance on top of it. Correct. So that's, and that's the, that's the idea of using Terraform from within VRA. Um, the other direction is to use Terraform to directly request and configure and work with VRA. So I can essentially have Terraform as my, um, as my go-to component for my developers to then reach out to VRA to request the infrastructure resources. So, okay. one of the, so some of the advantages in, the, in that different direction is um, as an operations team, I could build out um, my resources, my governance, uh, my resource restrictions and controls. I can build out um, my blueprints, um, I can build all of this stuff out and um, have it all ready to go. And then the development teams that are doing all of their work in Terraform can use Terraform to VRA using the VRA provider for Terraform to request and manage, destroy, rebuild, or whatever it is, their blueprints on VRA. Mm -hmm. So they don't ever really look at VRA at that point. Everything is going from their normal perspective. They're using VRA as their provider endpoint. VRA is handling all of our routing to Azure, our routing to AWS or vSphere and all that backend work. Um, VRA gets to handle all that. All the developers have to do is say, give me my resources and you wait for VRA to provide them. So rather than specifically writing directly to Amazon or Azure or whatever, they're calling a blueprint inside of their um, HCL basically. That right. then exactly. just, it completely wraps it. And you, instead of just getting like raw infrastructure, you're getting governed infrastructure, right? You're getting right. something that's governed by VRA. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And the, that's cool. And the other, and the big, and what we're seeing, where we're seeing that showing up in, in a lot of customer environments are you have, um, there are a lot of customers where they're looking to, they're looking to roll out a fairly robust vRealize automation environment with extensibility and a lot of IT servicing, right? Not just, just provisioning machines. They're, they're looking to really build a lot around that. Um, and what they have is they have multiple departments in multiple teams. Some of them are using Terraform, some of them are using something else. Um, 
And what they're using it for is this is this is the, the vRealize automation becomes kind of the hub of, of where operations can control everything, um, as well as obviously the machines that are being requested through uh, VRA can also then be managed by vRealize operations or uh, you know built in with log insight and things like that so, that, so that the operations team has visibility across the, everything, multiple cloud, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you don't have to to you know reeducate your 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 developers who are who are invested in Terraform to say you know, we're, we're building this out, but we're going to create a separate set of rules and guidelines for you because you're Terraform users. We can just bring everything through a centralized hub and then it's all managed the right. same way. The only difference is how people are accessing the resources. And they use, they continue to use Terraform as their tool, their tool for yeah. writing infrastructure as code. It's just, there's a wrapped component that they're putting in there. That's, um, you know, VRA's blueprint or effectively that sort of when they request environment, instead of saying, you know, want to do this on Amazon, they just specify the type of blueprint that gets wrapped in and then off they go. Basically. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Yep. That's, That's right. cool. That's powerful. Hey, Eric, any more on that? Because uh, I, I think this has been a great tour of uh, Terraform and VRealize. Uh, I think the, only, uh, the only thing that I kind of touch, touch on maybe is risk management and security. Um, how, how does VRealize and Terraform all plug into this kind of like risk management and security piece? So um, from a security aspect, um, there's obviously multiple layers of security that we're talking about. One of the nice things about using that second scenario of having VRA be the hub, Terraform be the requesting piece, is that um, you're essentially taking all of the authentication and access to your corporations, AWS, Azure, all these endpoints uh, that they have sort of, you know, a considerable amount of access to and you're centralizing that within the operations side so that they can control the security, they can control um, security groups. Because engineering, you know, if you give somebody the ability to request a machine to work on, they're gonna request a machine to work on. There's gonna be a consideration of security, but if it's a development machine, they're just gonna crank it out, work on it, destroy it. Um, security really sometimes kind of gets left behind when you're when you're working right. from that perspective. Um, and, and, and if you're gonna be really security conscious as a developer and you're using a tool like Terraform or some other automation tool, um, there's a considerable question of how much of the security is your responsibility to manage in that infrastructure. I mean, the more power you have, the more responsibility you have to learn and manage the, the security components. So um, tagging resources in VRA um, can, um, or, or just building out the resource uh, components correctly can essentially ensure that the provisioned resources are tagged with proper security groups. They're tagged with proper uh, boundaries in, in what can connect to and from them, uh, firewall access. So everything that you could automate infrastructure-wise, you can do um, through VRA. And again, you're taking the you're taking the complexity of building all of that away from the developers who just need the resources. You're giving it back to operations, but you're not impacting the development workflow or the CI CICD. Right? You're not you're not getting in the way of that pipeline. You're just allowing the components that are being requested to auto wrap with proper security and, and requirements. Yeah, I, I definitely could see how uh, using VRA would improve security because if you have a blueprint and you you always wanted to leverage micro segmentation as an example, right? You could make sure that that's in the blueprint. That's that's that is the representation of the environment that's going to get the bound deployed, and then when someone requests it, they're just embedding this whole you know block 
into their into their terraform right where then it's automatic that you know that micro segmentation gets deployed down with the environment and you can control it whereas if everybody goes off and independently goes and provisions an environment it's very hard to control that yeah i could definitely yep. see how that would improve things yep. all right Cool, thanks. I got another topic that uh, I know, don't know if we've touched on yet or not, but I always ask this of guests that we bring on podcasts, which is uh, vSphere 7, right? vSphere 7 now has Kubernetes, right? Um, so that's kind of a shift and the industry shifted into Kubernetes and that whole bit. And now we've, we've just integrated into the data center by giving you vSphere 7, you have Kubernetes. Um, how does vRealize automation touch some of this now? Because, you know, automating, you know, containers floating around, I mean, I assume, and I don't know if Terraform gets into that, but one of the things as a cloud architect, I'm always looking at like, you know, modern technologies, where my app teams are going, how, where do you see this, you know, playing out as we go forward into the new Kubernetes world? So, um, so both Terraform and vRealize Automation have provider or endpoints to create, manage, and day two modify uh, Terraform um, and and uh, containers. So um, vRealize Automation has an entire um, container infrastructure built into it for deploying, managing, and controlling containers. Um, in fact, an interesting uh, an interesting side note. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm in the 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 support world, right? So looking under the hood is kind of what I do all the time. Um, vRealize Automa Realize Automation 8.0 was released with all of the services built in, um, all converted to Kubernetes pods. So the actual structure of vRealize Automation 8 is actually Kubernetes at this point. So um, definitely throwing ourselves into that um, mm -hmm. you know, fully. Um, it's been really good from a support perspective to have containerized services that can just be destroyed and recreated just, you know, willy nilly and, and, and they come back and they cluster, you know, together really well. Um, but from the perspective of deploying, managing, controlling, all of that is already baked in. So um, the only the only thing you're doing is you're creating your Kubernetes endpoint, you're pointing your, um, your infrastructure towards it. And of course you're wrapping governance, security, whatever you need to do uh, from the operation side. And then, and, and then your end users are either going to, you know, API requests, they're going to, Terraform requests, they're going to go to a catalog and click on a shopping cart type request to request those those containers. Nice, nice. Okay, that's cool. what I expect. I think a lot of people are going to come up to speed with that and learn that over the next year or so as the excitement for yeah, vSource 7 and Kubernetes goes. Uh, other one that I have, David, and uh, you know, you can you can correct me if I shouldn't go here, but uh, from a licensing perspective, how does vRealize deliver to enterprise customers these days? Right, like what's the how do how do how do people actually get it? Uh, uh, you talk SaaS service for a little bit, so it sounds like we have you know vRealize automation or vRealize suite on on as a, a SaaS service. I think we have, obviously, most people know about the on-prem. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about how people use this? I sometimes hear, not often, but sometimes I hear that, hey, I got vSphere 7, I got, I, I use vSAN, I, I'm doing NS, NSXT, but I haven't really gotten around to vRealize. And so so we always, we're always we always conscious of like, okay, how many enterprise customers actually have this? It's sitting on a shelf somewhere. And how do we, you know, do they already have it? Do they need to do some action to get it? I think you'd go where I'm going here. Uh, give me, give me your thoughts. So, so, so Cody, you know this. I mean, I know a little bit. I mean, I haven't looked at it in a while. But do you sort of know what the, you know, the latest on licensing is? Um, so, you know, I, I don't. I would say that I'm not definitely not the expert on the licensing aspect. I'm definitely more invested in the in the technical um, aspect. There is um, 
there is standalone um, SaaS. There's a and, and I believe yeah. there's a synergy um, out there between them. But but the the idea is that um, we try to make sure that at least specifically in the cloud management side um, that you know your cloud management products on prem you should be able to have a certain percentage or a certain access to SaaS as well. Um, one of the uh, drivers that we see, at least uh, from the technical side, is that um, the technology that's underneath our, our SaaS versions of our on-prem products um, is the exact same technology. So, um, for example, um, what, what shows up in our VRA8 cloud, our VRA cloud offering, uh, I mentioned that currently there's Terraform embedded there. You can go Terraform from VRA8 cloud. Um, you can pretty much expect to see that show up on the on-prem releases. Um, in a future release because the, the underlying technology is basically the same. Uh, from a from a licensing perspective, I probably can't speak with too much authority sure. on it. No, no worries about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I think, uh, so I was, <laughs> I had a, Eric had to go look it up real quick and just see if we had already announced all this. So, but uh, just adding to that, you know, we have on-prem, we have this, the uh, SaaS versions, but, uh, you know, Via Realize also uh, particularly are kind of leading the, the way for VMware around uh, having a universal license that allows you to move back and forth across the on-prem and uh, SaaS world without having to, to, you know, keep swapping licenses. So I think the... You know, I think that they're a little ahead of the game for the rest of the company there, actually. All right. Nice. Nice to know. Nice to know. And uh, and Terraform and in the, the work, the, you know, the interfaces I need to connect the two, that's all bundled. I should I should just be able to get that and I go to GitHub, get my, my connectors and away I go. Yeah, absolutely. So you can get a VRA or VRA Terraform provider. Um, there is one for VRA 7. There's one for VRA 8. Um, and again, in the VRA or the, the vRealize Automation Cloud offering, um, there is the ability right in the blueprint to just drag, drop, and create Terraform um, scripting directly in that blueprint uh, as well. Cool. Hey, uh, Cody, maybe um, you tell us, you, you did a session recently at uh, VMworld around this whole topic. and It's kind of how I came across you. Maybe you could mention that and just uh, tell us what the number is on, on that session. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did a... Um, uh, take charge of your infrastructure as code with vRealize Automation. The um, obviously that that's that's specifically about uh, taking your your Terraform content that exists and wrapping that um, and 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 getting control of it with uh, governance and security and things like that. Um, it is MCOP one seven seven three, and um, I would also uh, give a shout out to another one. There's another one that is Terraform consumption at enterprise uh, enterprise scale. That one is focused more on the SaaS the VRA cloud uh, perspective, and that is HCMB2257. Cool, yeah, and then the VMworld uh, stuff is up there for on demand. Uh, yep. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Very good, very good. Uh, I, I always like to follow up with um, what are your goals and as aspirations for the next year coming up? I know I know we can't talk confidentially about what we got for product-wise, but, uh, but what are your hopes and aspirations uh, for this space as we go into the next year? Uh, so um, at least in, in, uh, from my perspective, um, it really is about the integration with third-party products. Um, our, uh, our engineering, I, I'm, I'm obviously... Um, I'm, I'm grouped in with the solution and the support of, of, of our products. And um, in a space like cloud management, the support of our products is always sort of expanding beyond the boundaries of what VMware owns, right? Which is why um, I did this Terraform session um, and I've done tr internal training on Terraform. 
uh, with VRA. So I'm looking to expand out to Ansible um, to, to provide our, our engineers a really good view of Ansible. I'm also looking to uh, work with the uh, Salt Stack team um, to drive a lot of enablement there. Um, there is integration Salt Stack to VRA that we're we're looking at, and so there's a lot of these things um, that are. I mean, there's always something in the pipeline to learn, um, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, a lot of third-party stuff is what usually kind of comes into my uh, my purview because you get so many wild uh, environments that are built in so many really creative ways, uh, and we have to be able to support all of them, right? All right. Uh, Follow-up question is, what is the coolest thing you've ever automated with vRealize uh, automation? Um, I would say the, the um, let's see, coolest thing I've automated with vRealize automation. Um, well, additional vRealize automation environments, right? Sort of dog thing. <laughs> the, the old so. nested, the nested vRealize. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, like, it's like, I'd like to request a vRealize automation environment from my vRealize automation environment. But once it gets deployed, that's when I was able to do Terraform to fully configure everything. So it's ready to just log into and use. I mean, we had cloud endpoints, blueprints, everything's just sitting there on a newly developed system. So it's like you, you could stand up an entire uh, vRealize automation stack, multi-node stack with blueprints and everything fully built out in like a few hours. Right. It's nice. pretty, pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. And then because I still got you and we still have a few minutes left, I think I'll throw another one at you because it's fun. What's the coolest platform you've ever worked on, either biggest or smallest, or when you talk hardware, like, cause I'm such a hardware geek, um, which is funny because I work in a virtualized environment where I don't ever see my hardware anymore. But the uh, question for you is what's the coolest hardware you've ever used to do some of this stuff? I got to tell you, um, I am hardware broken, right? So I, I have been so invested in virtualization um, <laughs> that almost everything that I've ever done has been either internally cloud-based or externally cloud-based. So to me, you know, uh, AWS and, and Azure are essentially the infrastructure hardware that I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to change that question to what's the coolest <laughs> cloud vendor you've ever used because no one actually does anything on real hardware anymore. It's all stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I, I I do like our our VMware cloud on AWS. I mean, like it's, it's streamlined compatibility. It's really nice that way. I mean, it's it's all the it's all the stuff I'm familiar with, but it's all hosted AWS. Um, uh, generally, AWS nice. is what I use as sort of my test bed. Um, I, I do like Azure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't really say that I prefer one over another. Um, I, I, I I kind of appreciate them all equally, but I think uh, familiarity keeps pulling me back to AWS these days. Nice, cool. nice. David Jasso, I don't have anything else other than you know what good books have you read this year? But we'll st- we'll skip that one and uh, and just uh, listening to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, we appreciate it. So Cody Carlson, uh, David Jasso, uh, do we want to wrap up? Um, yeah, we're good. Uh, Cody, it's been awesome having you on. It's uh, I you know like I said, it's um, it was interesting to run across a solution architect that's in customer support because I don't tend to think about that role there. Uh, and I think the Terraform and VRA stuff's really cool too. So thanks for, for joining us today and, and being our guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks a lot and uh, have a good, great rest of your year. Yeah.